Ledger started this like uh, marketing campaign, trying to make your Ledger wallet look like a piece of jewelry. They obviously have yeah. never been in the rap game because your chain will get snatched. Yes. <laughs> These are not rappers. Okay. Tuck that shit in your shirt. Most recently, though, Ledger made an announcement. You were going to be able to recover your private keys because Ledger had sent your private keys out to places where they can go get your private keys. And the look on your face is telling me that you understand how freaking ridiculous that is. And so for $10 a month, we'll provide you an additional way of getting your Your keys back. Now, what you're really saying is for $10 a month, you're shipping my private keys off of my hardware wallet. Yeah. Exactly. Even I get that. And I mean, no, I'm going to say that way. I'm a very intelligent woman. Not everyone's going to get it, but I got it. Now let's think. <laughs> You're listening to the Flirting with Bitcoin podcast. I'm Mandana. I'm Ian. That's Keon. And, and we're, we're the, the Recephies. My husband loves Bitcoin, and once a week, I let him talk my ear off about it. Yeah, I'm a real cheap date. Cheap, maybe, but it's a lot of work. If I'm going to do something, may as well do it the best way possible. And Flirting with Bitcoin is audience-funded without ads or sponsors. Mm-hmm, this ain't your grandma's podcast. This is Podcasting 2.0. But we can't do this for free, babe. We have Bitcoin to buy and a new mouth to feed. <laughs> See? Our son agrees with me. If and when people enjoy the show, they can support us by giving us a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever they're listening. They can share episodes on their social media, and of course, they can send us some money. Obviously, I prefer Bitcoin, and the best way to send us some is through our two favorite apps, Strike and Fountain. Ah, let's explain how that works at the end of the episode for anyone curious. Sure, babe. But I still like real money, and so if you want to support us... Babe, babe, Bitcoin is real money. Sure, but if you want to support us with old school money, go to flirtingwithbitcoin.com and subscribe. We offer monthly and yearly subscriptions that come out to less than a dollar an episode. To all our fountainheads out there, keep making and sharing clips of the show to cash in on our bounty program. Make that money, honey. Y'all ready? Hey, Keon, you ready, baby? Let's go. Hey, Ian. Hey, Mandana. Hola, Spain. Guten Tag, Germany. Hello, Canada. Good day, UK. Hola, Argentina. Hola, Brazil. Buongiorno, Italy. Sawadi, Thailand. Hola, Portugal. What time is it, babe? The current time is 791-078, and we're approximately 1,526 blocks since our last recording. And if I gave you one U.S. dollar, how many acres could I get on sunny Bitcoin Island? Today, for one dollar, you could get 3,676 acres. For one USD. So were eggs cheaper this week or last week? They're about the same. Eggs are 100 sats cheaper. Ground beef is like 200 sats cheaper. And gas is up 700 sats. All right. So kind of steady price these days. Eggs and ground beef are cheaper, but gas is more expensive. Mm-hmm. It doesn't all just move with the price of That's Bitcoin. That's very true. That's a great point. little like a side note here. So I had one of my friends ask me, like, where are we getting these numbers from? Mm-hmm. Uh, the name of the website is PricedInBitcoin21.com. So we're not just pulling these numbers out of our butt. Like, it's a website. <laughs> um, it, the website's run by a, like, you know, financial analytics kind of company firm that's getting into Bitcoin. So they this is their contribution to the Bitcoin 
community. Yeah, it's, it's. I think you cited them the first time. We yeah, these we just numbers through. Yeah, we just got to keep citing them. them. Fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> also, in the show notes, it's cited in the show notes. Yeah. But if you don't read the show notes, which most people don't, then yeah, it just seems like we're pulling these numbers. I, I read the show notes. Yeah, so you know, before we start the show, a couple of couple of things have happened in the Bitcoin community. Um, holidays to celebrate. Well, holidays, yeah. You know, the biggest one was you know this past weekend was Bitcoin Conference in Miami. Ah, yeah. Um, and we'll do an episode about that. Like, we're not going to get into that today because we've already kind of planned this episode out. Yeah, but we have um, more urgent things to talk about. If you want to know about Bitcoin Conf, just go on YouTube. And you can watch all the videos. Um, if you want my opinion on what those videos are saying and what was said, then you're going to have to wait a couple episodes. But uh, that's like the big news in the Bitcoin world is that Bitcoin Conf just happened. It's over. RFK spoke at it. He kind of announced his... Who's RFK? Robert F. Kennedy. Oh, <laughs> the actual RFK. The okay. actual I don't know. Junior. You, you do like... Uh, there's there's acronyms there's for every acronyms. person. No. I didn't know it was the actual RFK. Okay. Yeah, the, actually him okay. who has announced his presidency. He spoke at the conference okay. and for like 20 minutes about Bitcoin. He's a politician, so like he obviously knows the talking points and knows how to deliver them. But he said a couple of things that I don't want to like influence anybody like go watch what he said form your own opinion um before i I talk about it that was a big get though for the conference and then another thing that just kind of came out of the conference is that it's happened in miami the past couple of years the next one's going to be in nashville and nashville is actually a pretty big place for bitcoiners it's a pretty big place for bitcoin mining Mm -hmm. and one of the more uh prominent bitcoiners um named odell he uh he has started like a I don't know what to call it, like Bitcoin hostel or Bitcoin house or okay. he like has set up like this is a place where Bitcoiners to gather and talk about Bitcoin and stuff like that. Um, so it's a pretty big get for Nashville to get the whole conference um, next year. Uh, yesterday was pizza day. Um, if you're following us on Twitter or Noster, you probably saw me post something on that. So basically pizza day is back in 2010. This guy, Laszlo. Yeah, he like spent a bunch of Bitcoin on one pizza. Yeah, it was 10,000 Bitcoin for two pizzas. And this was like the first recorded major transactions of goods with Bitcoin. Is that why people are so into it? Up until recently, I would say yes. But like someone has revealed some new information that it possibly wasn't the first like transaction. Uh And possibly the first transaction was actually like an NFT. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Well, someone bought an image for Bitcoin was like the first transaction. Um, Sounds like NFT propaganda. (laughs) Maybe. Um, But that's kind of like kind of surfaced in the past. But I think like regardless of what the first one was, this is the first story that like people heard where someone actually gave another person a good for bitcoin yes so it's significant history no matter whether or not it was the first it's the one that people have heard about that like gave some value to bitcoin exactly so the funniest part about all this is that back in 2010 when he did this ten thousand bitcoin was worth nothing and then by executing this transaction amongst the group of Bitcoiners that existed at the time, 10,000 Bitcoin became worth $41. And so we've really kind of been working off of that price point going forward. That's interesting. Um, so when I posted on Noster, I was like, you know, what's two pizzas going to be worth in Satoshis in 10 years? Mm-hmm. And maybe it's 10,000 Satoshis yeah. instead of 10,000 Bitcoin. Ooh. Right. And, you know, there's some other interesting sto- parts to that story. But for the most part, 
yesterday was pizza day. Uh, go go do some Googling if you want to know more. Go buy yourself a pizza. You bought yourself a pizza last night. Yeah, it was pizza day. You're so cute. You, why didn't you say it? I did. Oh, you did? I did. You said you got pizza. I said, yeah, it's pizza day. I didn't, I didn't connect the dots. I know. I just thought, oh, Ian's trying to make this a thing. All right. No, you're not a Bitcoiner. Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> um, one day that statement will, will register. One day. And then another Bitcoin date is today. Remember a couple episodes we talked about the block block size wars and mm-hmm. the block wars? So today in 2017 is when that started. And so basically what happened was a bunch of companies came and said we should double the size of the blocks. And that's when there was that fracturing in the community where half the people said yes, half the people said hell no. So when you call it a block war, (laughs) that sounds much more tame than a war. Like, were there any casualties of this war? Physical people dying? No. But companies went out of business because they made their own choice. Uh, Okay, interesting. Right? So like... I didn't want real death. That's what I wanted. I wanted. Well, it was a it was a war because a death of ideas. It was a it was a civil war, really. Right. You had a bunch of Bitcoiners Mm -hmm. and they kind of saw the same problem. Like, hey, you know, if we got if we want to say that Bitcoin is going to be this new monetary system and is going to beat Visa. Right. Or beat these other payment networks. We're not going to beat it at seven transactions a second. And so what was proposed was, well, let's make the blocks bigger. We could fit more transactions into that 10 minute block window, and that would increase the number of transactions per second. The two factions that formed were one side, which said, let's make it bigger because it'll suit our business need. And then you had what I said in the other episode, you know, the OG Bitcoiners that were like, we're not here to serve your business needs. There's a reason why they're this size, because there are people in the world that have very weak bandwidth connections and they can't push around bigger blocks. And if you make bigger blocks, then the blockchain will get bigger. And then there's people who can't afford a two terabyte hard drive, which is where we are at today. But at the time, 10 years ago, like hard drive space was more expensive than it is today. Oh, so is it time to revisit the block wars? We can, again, like I said, there's always something to talk about in Bitcoin, babe. It's been 10 years. Mm -hmm. There's a lot that has happened. And I don't know if we should jump into everything all the time, but whatever it relates to something that's going on today that you missed or even I missed, yeah. then I think that's a good time to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, let me and not throw us off topic because I know we got a lot to talk about today. The ordinals debate and inscriptions, yeah. that's why it's time to talk about the block wars. There's a lot of people that are in Bitcoin today that were not in Bitcoin when that happened mm-hmm. in 2017, yeah. like yourself. And so without any of that prior knowledge, people would just go, let's make the blocks bigger so we can fit our ordinals. And the OGs are like, no, buddy, we already beat the South. Like, we're not doing that again. Yeah, it's interesting because, like, I have a background in policy and coming into that when I was entering my career, I'm like 15 years into my career, but that was what I would be hit with often, which was we tried that 10 years ago. This is where we landed or it didn't work 10 years ago. This is where we landed. And I would always say like, well, let's try now. We're in this different world now. The Internet exists now. Like, you know, that's what I would, used to be saying. Like we have digital records now, like, whatever it was. It was like, well, you created this in a different universe of context. I, I understand if it's like, oh, we've already visited that, but it is worth when you have a, like, I don't even know how many new Bitcoiners in the game six years later, right? They might be able to come up with even a, a better solution than, you know, the two sides were arguing before. 
they did come up with a better solution. Lightning. It's called lightning. Yeah, yeah. Like lightning. For was, now, for now, right? Well, like lightning was born. Yeah. Out of that. Yeah. Like debate. It's like we do want to. We want more transactions. Yeah. And there's a cost to on-chain transactions, and so lightning removes the on-chain yeah. costs. You can have infinite transactions once you open up a channel. But you said last episode that not everyone trusts Lightning. Well, while that's true, one of the things that was announced at Bitcoin conference this year is an alternative to Lightning. Mm. And if you're a person that has the reservations that most people who have reservations about Lightning have, this new thing might actually assuage some of those concerns about Lightning. And now we're going to have basically two Lightnings. So like you could have two Lightnings or you could have bigger blocks. What is that called? Uh, you're going to put me on the spot. I believe it's called ARC. Okay. Yeah. Let me, like, again, I, I, I always derail the conversation, but. <laughs> I mean, you're asking the right questions, yeah, yeah. right? And so just to close the loop, it's like, you are correct. Like this happened in the past. It's today. We should revisit it. But there was a solution in the interim between today and the past. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, even that solution has been iterated on. It's just a really interesting situation where. And I'm not saying this is unique to Bitcoin, but yeah, you have a bunch of people who are very into it and then you have a bunch of people who are ignoring it. And then those people start paying attention and then they want a say in how this is all playing out. And it's like, I'm sure an OG Bitcoiner is like, nah, you're like late. Like we've been doing this. But at the same time, it's like they sure they joined later, but they're still early. So well, there's a phrase that gets thrown around a lot, which is I just found out about Bitcoin and I'm here to fix everything. Yeah. Right. I think the people that are coming in, you know, I'll put myself in that bucket, right? I got involved like right after, basically right as this was happening, the block wars. Mm -hmm. So I was so new that I didn't even really know it was happening. Yeah. I knew, I saw people talking about it. So what happened was there was a fork. And so BTC forked and there was BTC, which we all still buy and trade. That's real Bitcoin. And then there was Bcash. Mm -hmm. And it was a big deal because Coinbase was going to list Bcash for sale on Coinbase. And then lo and behold, there's a bunch of insider trading around that event and all that fun stuff. I am shocked. I am shocked, (laughs) right? Um, But no, so the point is, is that like I remember sitting there watching the day that Coinbase listed Bcash. When, When the fork happened, the Bitcoin blockchain forked. So everyone on Bitcoin now immediately had BTC and Bcash. All your private keys worked. Everything was the same on that other fork. So there were a bunch of people sitting there with basically like twice as much Bitcoin because which chain is going to be the one that survives this civil war, this fork? Mm -hmm. And what happened, what I saw happen and why I never looked back at Bcash was it spiked on Coinbase and it's been going down ever since. Mm -hmm. And that's because everyone just dumped all their Bcash for anybody who was willing to buy it. Yeah. Converted that fiat into Bitcoin and just kept it moving. Yeah. So if you look at like the price of Bcash to Bitcoin today, I don't know. I think it's lost like 90% of its value against Bitcoin, maybe 99% of its value against Bitcoin. It's not real Bitcoin. Those were the casualties of the war. Those were the casualties. Anyone who sold their Bitcoin for Bcash, they lost. Anyone who thought the bigger blocks were going to win, so they dumped their BTC and converted it to Bcash, they lost. That hurts. Now, hopefully somewhere before zero, they went back the other direction. Yeah. But like that's when you said are there casualties, that was the casualty. There were companies that went one way or the other. R.I.P. It's 
time for shout outs for our listeners on Fountain. The top boosters for last week's episode number 60. New high score on the leaderboard by Oi or we. He said it's it's Oi for the lads, we for the ladies. That is the flirtiest comment we've ever gotten. That wasn't inappropriate and I loved it and I'm still blushing over it. So great job. <laughs> great job. Making me blush. Great job making me blush while my husband like smiles and uh, an approving smile. Other top boosts from Hello There, Cypher High, Hunter SF770, Type 1, Terala, Doomed Amazing, P Ninja, and Cindy EO. And Cindy, we wanted to say good luck on your full node journey. Yeah, so I had been chatting with Cindy on um, Noster. Or actually, no. Someone else asked the question, I answered, and then she kind of started asking more questions. Uh, we're going to be putting some more stuff together that you can hopefully follow along with. That's what this episode's kind of about. So let's get into it. All right. So I think there's a couple of things that have been going on that made you want to revisit the guidance that you've given to people about how to secure their Bitcoin. So last year we had a couple of episodes in the Securing the Bad series, and it seems like those are kind of out of date now. Would you say that's right? So, yes, um, not all the information is out of date. Since about a year ago, two hardware wallets have made some decisions that lead me to no longer recommend them. So let's like first talk about what has changed. So for, you know, our longtime listeners that they we can assume they've listened to the, the Secure the Bag series. Sure. What are the ones that you no longer recommend? So the first one is Trezor. And this is a little technical, but Trezor recently added a feature that in theory is supposed to give you more anonymity for your coins. There's there's ways you can go about this. And one of them is basically called mixing. So you combine your Bitcoin with someone else's Bitcoin and you mix them together and you basically break the chain analysis capability of figuring out that that was your Bitcoin. Okay. So for example, if you bought Bitcoin on Strike, Strike has a record that you bought that. Mm -hmm. Then you withdraw it from Strike to some location. Mm -hmm. Strike has a record that you sent that Bitcoin that you bought from them to that location. And now it can be tracked across the blockchain because you have that record tying you back to Strike. Right. So what Trezor added is this thing called Wasabi. A lot of people use Wasabi. It's been around for a while and it's there's Wasabi and there's Whirlpool. Like those are like the two mixing services that exist. I had always been getting a lot of my recommendations from who I previously mentioned, Odell. So Odell has always recommended Whirlpool and I've always used Whirlpool and I've never heard him say don't use Wasabi. I never really paid attention. I just when I was trying to made your choice and that's the one. Yeah. And I did. I did enough research to say, like, this is what I want. So I'm going to set this up. Well, Trezor caught a lot of flack for adding Wasabi. Mm-hmm. And what I learned from Trezor adding Wasabi and seeing all the like kerfuffle that happened is that basically Wasabi has a terms of service. And in their terms of service, they basically say that you're not allowed to use this service for mixing your coins if you're doing certain things, a.k.a. they're trying to put rules on your Bitcoin. Doing certain things like what? Like sending it to countries that we have sanctions with, committing crimes, like... I'll just read you... All the things that banks restrict us. I'll just read you <laughs> like a, a, a TLDR here. Okay. Right? 
So this is from uh, Chris Bleck. He's a, a researcher of sorts. Wasabi's tool is a total capitulation to government censorship. It blocks BTC transactions that are for things like buying guns and ammo, sexual content, alleged copyright violations, credit repair services, and much more. It credit also, repair services. It's got a terms of service and that's just in there. All right. right. So it also states that they're under no obligation to tell you why your transactions are blocked. And then he goes on to say, as far as I can tell, Trezor has not acknowledged whether or not its users will be bound by these terms, but it's safe to assume that they will since Trezor is now hiding replies and blocking anyone who asked them about this on Twitter. Uh, so do you think that this is their own choice or is it some type of regulation the Wasabi services tap that requires them to need these terms of service? So Trezor, the hardware wallet, yeah. is integrating Wasabi. Yeah. They could have chose something else. Okay. They chose this. Yeah, so you don't think this is coming to uh, Whirlpool soon? The short answer is no. Okay. And mainly because it's just how Whirlpool is set up differently from Wasabi. Okay. So like Whirlpool is more, more in line with how the Bitcoin blockchain works, where there's not really one person in charge that could even set a terms of service. And when you're mixing your coins, no one knows who's being mixed with who. It's just being mixed. Yeah. And this Wasabi, in theory, is seeing the destination as a means of saying, no, you cannot yeah. send the mixed coin to that location because we've decided that that's not the case. So um, I'm going to link to this in the show notes if you want to read a little bit more. But I no longer recommend Trezor as a wallet a hardware wallet to use. Damn, getting dumped by Ian. I wouldn't know what that feels like, but it seems harsh. <laughs> <laughs> you liked that one, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, that was good, babe. Thanks, thanks. That was really Sometimes good. Sometimes I'm funny. Um, I really don't know what it's like to be dumped by you, and I will never know because you're never leaving me. All right, babe, what's the next one? <laughs> Who else is dead to you? I mean, I saw this one coming. I'm not surprised, but it's just, it's gotten ridiculous now. So Ledger. Mm -hmm. You were kind of done with Ledger a while ago. Even I know that. We own Ledger wallets, Uh right? And we use Ledger. Um, I'm in the process of replacing all of that. Yeah. But basically, Ledger had done a couple things that was starting to lead me to believe that they're definitely not Bitcoiners. But they're also not actually interested in security. And you cannot be a Bitcoiner. That's okay. But if you're selling a hardware wallet for the purposes of extra security and you're kind of making me believe that you're not interested in security, then what are we talking about here? You're just trying to get my money. Mm -hmm. So the thing that they had done before, which we didn't even talk about, is that Ledger started this like uh, marketing campaign, which was trying to make your Ledger wallet look like a piece of jewelry and like wearing it around your neck. Huh. What? Does that make it more dangerous? Yes. Yes. They did a whole campaign around like getting a chain and like showing off your ledger around your neck. They tried. They obviously have never been in the rap game because your chain will get snatched. Yes. (laughs) These are not rappers. Tuck that shit in your shirt. Okay. Number two. That was just kind of funny. And it was like, okay, if you're dumb enough to wear your ledger around your neck, that's you. People made all kinds of memes about like wearing their cold card around their neck and all their other wallets. Right. Yeah. But if that's that, that's on you, that's a choice you're going to make. Most recently, though, Ledger made an announcement for a new feature that they were adding to their their hardware wallet in that you were going to be able to recover your private keys from your device in the 
event that you lost it because Ledger had sent your private keys out to places where if you provide them the right information, they can go get your private keys. And the look on your face is telling me that you understand how freaking ridiculous that is. So yes, the hardware device that is supposed to not let your keys leak off the device, they basically announced a feature where they were like, well, screw it. We're going to leak your keys off your device. But why? Because people lose their wallets. Oh, okay. And so for $10 a month. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We will provide you an additional way of getting your Your keys back. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what you're really saying is for $10 a month, you're shipping my private keys off of my hardware wallet. Yeah. This sounds like a choice you could or could not make. But the capability is in there. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Even I get that. And I mean, no, I'm going to say that way. I'm a very intelligent woman. Not everyone's going to get it, but I got it. Now, let's think. <laughs> now, you got that right away. I did. Because you've been doing a podcast for over a year. Because I'm flirting with Bitcoin. Exactly. But here, let me take it a little bit further, just as a purely software engineering standpoint. Yeah. As a software engineer, we ship a ton of code that's turned off. Yeah. And then we wait until a later date to turn it on. Yeah. So Ledger is a closed source hardware uh, wallet. So you have no idea how long this has been on the wallet. Exactly. All right. Exactly. So dead to us. So they're claiming this is a new Not even RIP. No peace for you. Yeah. Yeah. It took you a second. (laughs) Yes. Um, I can't bat a thousand. Okay. Some uh, of them aren't going to hit. No, no pee. Yeah. Um, All right. So I totally, I'm with you. I'm mad at Ledger more than I am at Trezor. I don't know if it's a who's worse, but these are two things that we recommended a year ago. A year ago, I did mention that Ledger was closed source, but a year ago, they didn't do some crazy marketing scheme about wearing your chain around your neck and they didn't have some crazy like shipping your private keys off your hardware device. That's all happened like in the last three months. So they're dead to me. So if you ever needed a reason to like check in with Ian once a week on this podcast, <laughs> the things that we use can be good one day and, and bad the next. And who has the time to be on top of them? Ian does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ian, who doesn't want to lose his money, right? Yeah, so, um, um, so... So with that said, the premise of this episode is that with all the knowledge that I have as of today, I was just going to casually walk everyone through our setup. I won't get into too much detail because that's, you know, giving up the whole ghost or giving up the game plan. And truthfully, it's just boring for me to listen to. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But I think there's some stuff in here that you might be curious about. Yeah. Um, And I think there's some stuff in here that probably a lot of people are curious about one part or another, which is basically, well, what do you do? Yeah. And I think from there, like separately, Ian, you should put out something like a part two to this or part B of this episode where you walk through like all of the options. Yeah, I'll definitely have that up. Maybe that'll be like our first like premium content or something like that. Who knows? Probably Ah. not. I'm going to do like a more sophisticated write up about this. It's just that when this ledger info hit, like I knew that this was the next episode that we had to do. There's a level of urgency to it. You know, this setup that I'm about to walk through, this is not how I started. It evolves. It evolves. It constantly evolves. Your needs evolve. You're like comfort level with with each component of it can change. So for me, I've gotten more sophisticated as I've learned more about Bitcoin. Depending on where you are in your like technical understanding of Bitcoin is where I think what we're about to go through will kind of give you an idea of like how much of Bitcoin do you actually understand? Because if I get to a point where you don't know what I'm talking about, don't do it. <laughs> 
right? Like you aren't that you aren't the, at that level yet. But this is like a very good overview of what I think gets you to, like I said, a couple episodes ago to about a or eight out of 10 kind of Fort Knox situation. I think you said seven out of 10, but I like eight even better. All right. So I feel like what we're about to get into is going to be technical um, and maybe overwhelming for some people. So ease me into it, babe. I'm not going to make this technical. I'm just going to talk about the different steps and each one of those steps is its own little rabbit hole you can dive into, but we're not going to get into like the details, but these are just the words you need to go Google, for example. Right. All right. So uh, if you're a Bitcoiner, there's different um, types of Bitcoin. There's paper Bitcoin and real Bitcoin. Right. On the other side of that, you have different levels of security. Right. And so paper Bitcoin is very not secure. Company goes out of business. You lose all your Bitcoin. You withdraw from the exchange. It's yours. Right. The act of withdrawing from the exchange requires a message to be sent to what's called a full node. We've talked about this in some way, shape or form of the podcast, but basically a Bitcoin full node is a computer of varying shapes and sizes that has the entire Bitcoin blockchain on it. This is most important to everything I'm about to say, because with a Bitcoin full node, you are the equivalent of everyone else on the network. Without a full node, you're relying on Strike to use their full node or any of these mobile wallets that you use. They have their own full nodes like everyone that you every app that you use talks to some full node. And if you don't have one, it's theirs. Yeah. But does it matter if you're just pulling it into a hard wallet or cold wallet? When you send from like an exchange to your wallet, you're almost always going to have to use their node. Right. They're building the transactions. They're sending it to you. Once you have it in a location that's controlled by keys that only you know about, Mm -hmm. now when you want to move that Bitcoin again, you get to decide who knows that you're moving moving it. it. Okay. So like if you, um, and we'll get into the wallets that I use later, but there's two wallets that I'm going to talk about, which is Sparrow and Blue Wallet. Um, So if you're sending your Bitcoin through Sparrow or you're sending your Bitcoin through Blue Wallet, it'll use a default server for you. Mm -hmm. It'll use some third party server. But they also kind of say, or do you want to connect to your own? Okay. When you have your own full node, that opens up pretty much all the stuff that you've ever heard about Bitcoin. So your recommendation is if you're really trying to do this right, you need a full node in your house. First step is to get a full node, right? And this is the conversation that me and Cindy were having on Nostra the other day. Yeah. Is someone asked the question of like, how do I get a full node? And I gave a very terse answer, which was go buy an external hard drive, download Bitcoin Core, download the Bitcoin blockchain onto that external hard drive, boom, you have a full node. It's that simple. That is literally what's running on this computer right now as we record this podcast. That's and it has what, to stay connected to the internet. In order for you to get the next block, yes. Right. The okay. blocks come in over yeah, the yeah, internet. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. Um, you got to keep it plugged in. You know, if I shut this laptop down or it turns off, that's fine because I'm only using this computer to broadcast transactions. So when I don't need to broadcast transactions, it doesn't need to be running. Yeah. Right. But when I open it back up and I turn back on Bitcoin core and it's like, oh, you're missing a hundred blocks. Well, it downloads a hundred blocks. So what if someone wants to send it to you and do you say send it through my node? No, they have their own node. And when they broadcast the transaction that's going from their address that they control to your address that you control, 
that transaction, if assuming that they had their own full node or they don't, mm-hmm. that transaction gets put into what's called the mempool. And the mempool has all of the pending transactions that Bitcoin knows about. The minute it lands in the mempool, my node sees it. Mm-hmm. My node tells my app, I see a transaction that has Bitcoin in it. When this is carried out, it's going to come to me you will have control over. Uh So the minute someone pushes it into the mempool, your app will say pending transaction. So it's either like that system that you described, or if I want to send something using my node is the equivalent of being like, well, I want to use like PayPal could be my node or I could, or Venmo, you know, it's like instead of using these apps to move money, you're using nodes. Yes. The only difference is that you can't create your own PayPal. Or Venmo. Exactly. Right. My, this, the node is zero on PayPal. Okay, cool. But, but in the Bitcoin world, full nodes are mm-hmm. all created equal. There's no, like, anyone can get one. Mm-hmm. Anyone can run one. But if you have one, you have all the same capabilities as Coinbase. Or Strike. Yeah. Or Strike. They all can't right, do so anything. So which ones do you recommend? Recommend for? Purchase. Well, like I said, the simplest way to do it uh-huh. is you just buy an external hard drive. Oh, okay. So there's no company that you need to link up with. No, the software that you download is free. Uh-huh. The hard drive is going to cost you something. Do not use the hard drive that's on your computer, though. Mm-hmm. That's something you do not want to do. It'll destroy your hard drive. Okay. Especially if it's a hard drive that spins, which I don't know if any hard drives spin these days. Uh, but you need an external solid state hard drive. And again... I'm going to put like a small write-up together, everything I'm going to talk about, okay. and I'll link to it in this description of the show. But um, the simplest way is this is that we have right here. We have an external Samsung hard drive. Mm-hmm. It's approximately two terabytes, mm-hmm. and it's just downloading the blocks as they come. Y'all best believe it's Bitcoin orange. <laughs> it's dark in here. It's red. Is it? <laughs> it but in the dark, orange. it looks orange. It looks orange. It's red. Red is also Ian's hair color, but when he can, he gets things in Bitcoin orange now. Um, This man likes his aesthetics. I like red. What can I say? You know, I think we got this external hard drive for like $90. Mm -hmm. So for $90, that's all you really need to spend. Okay. Right? Now, there are companies that sell like pre-built devices, which have the hard drive, but they also have like their own operating system on them that, that can do other things. And that's the box that we have upstairs, Mm -hmm. right? So that's, for example, Umbral is one, and I'll link to them in the service. And what are the other things it does? How much was that? Umbral? Yeah. Um, When I bought it, it was like $350, which is basically the cost of the parts, plus Mm -hmm. like another 50 bucks. And how much is it now? I think I saw it for like four or 500. Oh, it got more expensive. Well, the main part. Um, Raspberry Pi, mm-hmm. which is like a micro, um, it's a microcomputer mm-hmm. during um, COVID supply chain. Yeah, it got more sense. And so like you couldn't even really buy the parts to make your own umbral. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people just buy the parts and make their own and just load the operating system on that. I bought a pre-built okay. system. So what else does it do? So with Umbral, for example, uh, it's an operating system where you can load other software onto it. So like, for example, when we talk about Lightning, there's tons of uh, apps. Lightning like, channels. Lightning channels. That is that is what they're called. Um, there's tons of apps that help you manage opening and closing and what's called balancing your Lightning channels. Mm-hmm. So Umbral has like an app store and you can install all these different apps and they'll do all that for you. And you can just like hook that up to your computer and you work on it on your desktop or laptop? Yes and no. You, um, this is the technical part. 
but like you you tuddle into the machine. You're, you're, you kind of have to know how Linux works and like command line and terminal. All right. Well, like then you don't do this unless you know how that stuff works, because it sounds like this is super complicated to like is, take full advantage of. Let me. You're not letting me finish. OK. Umbral, the operating system is just like a Mac OS. You just go to the app store. You say what app you want to install. The apps themselves are just web browser apps. Okay. So you go to your okay. Umbral on your local network. It's called, the URL is umbral.local. Okay. Right? You log in. Okay. And then you can access all your all apps. Right, all right. right. But to actually get on the hardware itself, it's not like it's plugged into your computer and you're just on it. It's like a, it's creating its own websites in your local network. Ah, uh, okay. Right. So, so it's Umbral. On your internet Wi-Fi. Yes. Okay. But it's not outside of our network. So okay. someone can't see it unless they're connected to our Wi-Fi That was the piece that was missing from that. All right, I understand it. So Umbral is one of like two or three, maybe four other companies. But Umbral is the one you picked. Umbral is the one I picked at the time. Now, I'm going to say this because I'm a little mad about this, but there's a company called Bitcoin Machines or the Bitcoin Machines or whatever. And if anyone has any connections to these people or, you know, let me know. I bought a second Umbral from them. Mm -hmm. Christmas. It hasn't come. Not only has it not come, I have messaged them on their website. I have messaged them through Twitter. I have messaged them in every way possible, and I have not gotten a response. Did you pay in Bitcoin? I did. <gasps> so, like, I don't know what to say to that. They Their Twitter account seems to be active. They retweet pictures of people who are posting pictures of their umbrals. Oh, wow. But they just don't seem to be responding to me. Mm-hmm. So, like, there's that ghosted yeah guys so like mess with ian and we're gonna put you on blast on the pod <laughs> i have an order number that's uh, i go that to their sucks. website you i know, put in my email my address and my immediate no- thought was like dude just report it to the credit card company and then I, before i said it out loud i was like he paid a bitcoin there's no getting this money back well i don't know what has gone on yeah but i bought a number from them i have it yeah. I just ordered another one from the same people. That's weird. It's very weird. But fundamentally, like, you can have your own full node running on your quote unquote local machine. And then, which is step two, is that you can hook up desktop wallets to that full node. When you want to manage your Bitcoin, let's say, you know, you buy on Strike, you want to uh, move, it. move it off of Strike, right? You could have a desktop wallet and that desktop wallet is connected to that full node on that same computer, right? And it gives you the same Bitcoin address or QR code. You'd scan it in your, your Strike app, say, send my Bitcoin here. The minute it hits the mempool, that app's going to say, I see some Bitcoin coming. So in. what's like the benefit of a desktop wallet versus a mobile wallet? There's no real benefit between a desktop wallet and a mobile wallet. Besides the fact that like desktop wallets tend to be a little bit more full featured, right? Like mobile wallets are really designed to just let you see how much Bitcoin you have. Maybe you see the dollar amount that it's worth and they have the capability to like send and receive. Do these desktop wallets have mobile apps? So the desktop wallet that I use Sparrow, the guy who makes it is actually very anti-mobile app. So no, oh. it's, it exists for different operating systems, Windows, Mac, Linux, all that fun stuff. But he doesn't have a mobile app. Just because apps are mobile apps are a headache. Yes and no. This goes more to like the Bitcoin ethos of like distribution, right? And this is something that Fountain runs into a lot. You know, I'm in the beta channel and they're trying to get their new version out. And like you have your app and you submit it to Google and they go, no, Ah. you have to make this change. 
Ah, I before see. Before we'll put it in the App Store. I see. It's less freedom. Less freedom. So Apple does this. Google does this. I don't know all the details, but I, I'm pretty certain that that's where this guy is coming from. In addition to mobile devices tend to be able to spy on what's going on more closely. Okay. So like on an Android device, for example, Google can kind of see, uh, like if you copy something to the clipboard, it can kind of see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and depending on how sneaky other apps want to be, they can also see it. That's a good right? point. All right. So, okay. Now I understand why you would have a desktop wallet versus mobile wallet. And right. I assume we have both. I know we have both. So which one do you recommend for desktop? So I've played with four desktop wallets, Sparrow, Spectre. Blue Wallet and Green Wallet. Um, Sparrow, to me, seems to be the best. They were all relatively, like, all things being considered, relatively equal. But once I learned about, like, the guy who makes Sparrow, that kind of just pushed them to the top for me. And so what do you do? You go to their website, you sign up. There's no sign up. You just use it? It's free? It's free. Huh. Yeah. How do they make money? Don't worry about it. (laughs) What do you mean, don't worry about it? That's not your problem. This guy's giving away one of the best... Bitcoin wallets for free. But why do you why do you care? There's no such thing as free. He's a Bitcoiner. He probably sitting on thousands of Bitcoin and this is just his project that he likes to do and he doesn't have to worry about making money. Yeah, but you just listed two companies that like made shady decisions that made you not want to use them anymore. So shouldn't we understand like business economics of a free service that someone's offering? It's free open source software. Your iPhone is riddled with free open source okay, software. Okay, okay. Like you I don't ask questions. That way. You right. don't ask questions about all the things that make all the apps work on your phone. So Sparrows. So are the mobile wallets also free open source software? Um, all the wallets that I have on this list are they're uh, free. Oh, okay. Um, Spectre, Green, Blue. Those are all open source, I believe. What about the mobile ones? Well, we're not there yet, but for the mobile ones. Yes, I believe all the ones that I've listed on mobile. So that's interesting, like using, because, you know, I'm just trying to understand the difference between desktop and mobile. It seems like if you're someone that's trying to figure out which one's best for you, there isn't really a cost associated with trying it out. So you can just be trying it out until you find one you like. And so you like Sparrow, you like the founder of it, like that's just the one that fits for you. But if someone else wants to just test them out, it's not like it's going to cost them anything. It's going to cost you time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And this goes back to the point of this is why you want a full node mm-hmm. because you can connect all these different wallets to your same full node. And just play around with it. And just play around with it. All right. And you have that one thing, which is your control, which is they're all talking to my node. So tell me why you like the Sparrow guy. I mean, like I said, like, I think he is a definitely a Bitcoiner for sure. It's He's not doing it as like a business. It's mm-hmm. just a thing that he wants to make good. And in my opinion, it is one of the best desktop wallets. I think a lot of people might disagree with that. And that's fine. You don't have to agree with what I'm saying. It's but preference, right? For what, for what I like to do and how I like to use this, I like Sparrow. For two main reasons. Number one, because it seems to be either a single person or for lack of a better term, it's not like a corporate entity. Mm -hmm. Anytime something new happens in Bitcoin, it almost invariably ends up in Sparrow first because it's just like a Bitcoin that's like, oh, that's cool. Let's add that. Mm -hmm. There's no project manager and like, you know, like that's just the vibe I get from from Sparrow. And since I've been using it, they've done like two doers. Yeah, they've they've done like two updates in the last like six months since I've been using it. And it's never broken. And like it's it's always worked. Right. But the other reason that I like them is because, like I said, they seem to be Bitcoiners. 
they're very focused on like privacy and they're very focused on like implementing things that you probably want to have if you're worried about privacy. And so the most recent one they added, and we talked about this a couple episodes ago, is the ability to create and import uh, border wallets, which are these new Bitcoin wallets that you don't have to remember your keys. You just remember a shape. Mm -hmm. It's just built in to Sparrow. And I don't know of any other wallet that has that built in to their wallet. Like there's other apps that like you could generate a mobile, you could generate a border wallet. And Mm -hmm. okay, if you go back to that, you can read, get your keys and stuff like that. But that's built into Sparrow. And I played with it and it worked. Mm -hmm. Um, If we ever have to like flee to El Salvador, I'm putting all of our Bitcoin in a border wallet and then we don't have to worry about it. I'm not going to sit there and be like, babe, we got to run. You need to memorize 12 words real fast (laughs) or you memorize six. I memorize six. Like none of that. Like, all right. So it's like good for the apocalypse. Those types of situations. They're preparing us for the worst. Yeah. And um, just one last point there is that. So with Sparrow wallet, I have Sparrow on my desktop. And it's connected to that full node that's on my desktop with that ex- that uh, external hard drive, right? Mm-hmm. It's a very simple setup. In my opinion, you have the best desktop wallet connected to a full node. And if you only come away from our podcast episode with just that, like you're in a really good spot. Let's talk about mobile wallets because we're glued to our phones. Which one do you recommend? So this one's a little trickier um, because everyone's got like a different thing that they care about. Like you said, we're glued to our phones. So people are going to do the majority of the things with their Bitcoin on their phone. Now, (laughs) one of the things you have to understand about doing things with Bitcoin on your phone is that fundamentally your private key is on your phone. So losing your phone without having your stuff backed up, if someone gets your phone, they technically have your private key. It's secured away somewhere on your phone, but it's there, Yeah. right? Whereas like, for example, with the scenario I just talked about with Sparrow, I have my hardware wallet and I just export what's called an XPUB. So it's not the private keys, but you could export let's just call it some information that you can put into Sparrow, which enables you to send Bitcoin to your hardware wallet without needing to ever have the keys. And they can all do this or only one of them, only some of them have this capability. The wallet that I've been using the most recently, which is Blue Wallet on mobile, Mm -hmm. um, does this. And they also have a desktop app. They also have a desktop app. I don't particularly like it as much as Sparrow, but Blue and Green Wallet both have mobile and desktop apps. So that that concept I'm talking about is called watch only. And if you see in like marketing of of a mobile wallet that says like watch only capability or watch capability, that's what they're saying is that you can import the XPUB. It'll show you how much Bitcoin exists at that location. It'll enable you to send more Bitcoin to that location, but you cannot send Bitcoin from that location to Mm -hmm. somewhere else. Okay. Right. And so that's a pretty secure way to have like um, something like your Bitcoin in Unchained Capital. That's behind a username and password. That's behind two-factor authentication. And that's a multi-sig wallet. So that's like three layers right there. But you could still export the XPUB, put it into Blue Wallet, and see how much Bitcoin you have in. So, in- like, so I think like what you just said is a really like important point when it comes to like what you're recommending today. Because the things that you use work together really well. And so someone might say, well, I prefer this more for a mobile wallet. And you'll and like your response is probably like, well, this works best for me because I also use Unchained. 
right? I think that that's also what drives a lot of your decisions is how these work with each other. The reason why I recommend Blue Wallet, it has support for the main things that you want to do in Bitcoin today. So for example, Blue Wallet, they used to support Lightning on their own, but they dropped that. But you can import your own Lightning channels onto your Blue Wallet. Mm -hmm. So you still have Blue you still have Blue Wallet Lightning capability, right? You know, we've talked about Noster and OneTap Zaps. Yeah. So Albi, you can import your Albi Lightning Wallet into Blue Wallet. Okay. So if you want to see how much you have an Albi without logging into Albi, uh-huh. there you go. Okay. Right? Yeah. Or if you didn't have OneTap Zap set up, but you, you had- You set it up through- But you, well, no, and you had imported your Albi Wallet, mm-hmm. then when your options popped up, of which wallet do you want to use to pay this Zap? Yeah, you pick Blue Wallet. You pick Blue Wallet, you pick the Lightning, and you send it, Right. So Blue Wallet has all of that. I can also connect to my own personal node. If I have Lightning set up on that, that's where our Lightning channels are set up. Blue Wallet can connect to that as well. And using this is free? What? Using all this is free? Everything that is on here is free. That's cool. (laughs) Yeah, because like if these guys were moving something other than Bitcoin, they have to pay 2%. Yeah. This is just a bunch of web servers talking to each other. That's so interesting. To move value around. What a community. All right. So what are the other mobile wallets that you do not recommend? It's not that I don't recommend them. I just recommend Blue Wallet. Okay, cool. So what are the other options? So another one is Green Wallet. So Green Wallet has a a desktop and a mobile app. And Green Wallet is basically the equivalent of Blue Wallet without lightning support. Okay. So... You can create a new wallet there. It'll create you new keys, private and uh, public and private keys. Uh, you can import your XPUB for watch only. Um, you can put additional credentials on top of that. So like if someone were to get your phone, they couldn't just see how much Bitcoin you had at that location, right? But they have no lightning support. Another one is Samurai Wallet. So Samurai is cool because Samurai lets you connect to your full node and um, do that whirlpool. So Samurai uses Whirlpool, which is the opposite of Wasabi. Washing your Bitcoin. Right. So it's the opposite of Wasabi. Uh-huh. Right. So Samurai Wallet is really good for like coin control. So like you see all of your different UTXOs, you send individual UTXOs if you want to. You don't just type in a SAT amount. You can pick which UTXOs to send. You can label them. So you know, like this is Bitcoin I got from Strike. So I don't mind sending it to location X versus this is Bitcoin I got from RoboSats and mm-hmm. I don't want to send it yeah. to a certain location, right? But same thing, they have no Lightning support. And then lastly, uh, you know, we've been handing out a lot of um, SATS cards to people, right? We just gave another one to your friend's daughter for yeah. her birthday, right? So, well, you have this SATS card. Well, how do I use this SATS card? So this wallet called Nunchuck, which we talked about Last year, actually, they are like the wallet now that works with a lot of the NFC, those NFC cards, whether it's tap signer to like sign your transactions or sats cards to like move the Bitcoin off the sats card. So Nunchuck is it's kind of like Blue Wallet. Again, no lightning capability. Instead of lightning, they have this NFC capability. But one of the things that Nunchuck has is basically like built in collaborative custody. So the way that Nunchuck works is that you could create a Nunchuck account, your mom, your dad, your sister, you can create an Nunchuck account, and then through the app, you guys can make a multi-sig wallet just via your usernames. So you kind of all go into a chat room of mm-hmm. sorts. You say, we're creating a wallet. It takes all of your keys and makes a wallet that you would say either all four of us have to sign this through the or app. two of us. Uh, two okay. of four, three of four, right? And it, so the app handles all of that. And so they kind of built on that functionality over the past year. 
And now they have... So doesn't that kind of put Unchained out of business? Isn't that what Unchained Capital does? Yes and no. I mean, you're 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 kind of jumping the gun yeah. on making that connection. You're not wrong. What Unchained Capital does is Unchained Capital is really a two-step process. So first, they want you to hold your Bitcoin there and be comfortable with holding your Bitcoin there because they're trying to become a financial services company where you'll start moving your Bitcoin and any money that you would invest into Bitcoin. And so one of the first offerings that they have is your IRA and your retirement stuff. I see. So they're like, it's more of a full service uh, experience rather than just a wallet. Yes. Okay. Yes. But I say that to say, Nunchuck, one of the more recent features that they've offered is now called inheritance planning. Obviously, I haven't done it. We're not there yet. But fundamentally, what it is, is that you can set up through Nunchuck a way that says, in the event of X, these things unlock to these locations. Will Nunchuck moonwalk into a full financial services organization like Unchained Capital? Maybe, right? Like they might end up offering IRAs and stuff like that, but they're not offering any of that now. Mm -hmm. But Nunchuck's claim to fame is the SATS cards and the, the the tap signers. I don't use Nunchuck for any Bitcoin movement, but I keep my eye on it because I know as we keep handing out more and more SATS cards that I'm probably just going to be like an install nunchuck. Yeah, I, I don't know, it's just so interesting to me that like there isn't just one even for you, even as you're like saying this is the one I prefer. You're still using these up, some other ones as well. No, I mean, I only use Blue Wallet. Yeah. These other ones are on my phone. Yeah. Because I've used them in the past. I see. I had Samurai on my phone. I hadn't used it in like for a couple months. And I was putting this like list together and I opened it up and I had like a million sats in there that mm-hmm. I just hadn't touched. Mm-hmm. So I moved them off, you know. Close it out. Let's get to hardware wallets. Which one do you prefer? So this one's real easy. CoinKite's cold card wallet. I've gotten really comfortable with this. As I said, we had a ledger and or two that I'm in the middle of replacing. But cold card is the number one recommendation. We don't even have like a affiliate with them or anything like that. It's just anybody who makes a hardware wallet today has to compare themselves to cold card. All right, that's standard. And there are people that make hardware wallets that are better in various ways, right? Like, so another hardware wallet that I recommend is the right word, but everyone seems to speak highly of is Foundation. That one's a little bit pricey, Mm -hmm. but it looks nicer. It looks way nicer than a cold card. Like you could show that to somebody if you wanted to be like, yeah, look at what I got, right? Yeah. Yeah. Then on the other direction, you have the same people who make green wallet. They make a hardware wallet. It's called Jade, green Jade, right? Mm -hmm. Um, That's a lot cheaper smaller. It looks similar to a ledger, but it's not a ledger. And then if you want to go even cheaper, there's Seed Signer. And so Seed Signer is literally like build your own hardware wallet. So is cold card like, you know, is is like the the three little bears like too hot, too cold, just right? Kind of. I mean, they hit all the right marks. And so they have a really solid product. Um, it's open source. You can't modify it, which some people have been complaining about lately, but like you can't modify it, but you can see the source. So you can verify they're not shipping your private keys out to different locations. Right. But cold card just hits on a lot of good practices. And one of the big practices that they hit on is it's air gapped. So you can't really connect it via a wire to your computer. You have to put a little micro SD card in. Mm hmm. 
get what you need off of it air gapped to whatever you're going to. So the, the hardware, the keys on that device are never connecting are to never anything. connected to anything. Yeah, right? yeah I've seen you do it. it so is cool. like on top of that, because they've nailed this product, now they're just in the process of like iterating and making things faster and better. Other people are coming to the market with like, hey, do you guys like this? Hey, what should we make better? What should yeah. we do differently, right? Um, but I do think that Cold Card has some competition coming in the form of Jack Dorsey and what he's doing. They have their own hardware wallet that's coming out probably this year, maybe next. Who knows? We'll, we'll see. It looks like a hardware wallet made by someone who has billions of dollars to make a hardware <laughs> wallet. They're putting a the lot of iPhone of hardware wallets, maybe, but like they're putting a lot of R&D into like form factor and usability. Mm-hmm. And their big thing is like there's no screen for it. Um, and screens are where you get cracks and you can get leaks into it and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So it's being designed to last and it's being like designed to be idiot proof, I guess, which is good. Right. Um, I've seen pictures of like the mock ups. It looks really slick. Mm. Um, it functions most, it appears to function only on your thumbprint. So we'll see, like a lot of people have issues with biometrics. You can't make everyone happy, which is like why it's so great that there are so many options. Like I go back to like, these are just your preferences. It doesn't necessarily mean it's the right choice. Exactly. With cold card, you know, when I first got into Bitcoin, I just kept seeing the name. And honestly, I don't know why I bought the ledger except to say like, it did look nice. But today... I do not recommend Ledger. Don't buy it. Don't even consider it. If you have it, get all the Bitcoin you can off of it. Don't get distracted by the shiny things. Yeah. And if someone's willing to buy it off of you, like try to sell it. But I also recommend don't buy a used Ledger. So like, (laughs) I don't know who would buy it from you. Like, but yeah, like hardware wallets are, I think, going to have their moment in the sun after the next having we say moment in the sun but you should be locking up your hardware wallets yes somewhere very dark and cold yes <laughs> and that unfortunately is the part of our setup that i will not talk about because it's none your business yeah Um, moving on, babe, to the one thing that I have on my own that you don't have access to because it's on my phone. Uh, Lightning wallets. Lightning wallets are becoming a topic because of Noster and OneTap Zaps. Before that, it didn't really matter what you used, Mm -hmm. right? Because you would just give someone an address of... Yeah, but now you want it to be like integrated into whatever like platform you're trying to do activity on. So as I said, Albi is the one that I think is pulling away in that level of like lightning integration with um, Noster apps. And as I said, all the lightning wallets you can import into Blue Wallet. So that's the connection there. You can't import all the wallet into green. Doesn't Fountain also have a lightning wallet? So Fountain is fundamentally a lightning wallet. Right. I can't import my Fountain wallet into Blue Wallet. Right. Like it's limited activity, but like I have Strike and that's my lightning wallet. Right. So Strike is a lightning wallet in one direction. Mm -hmm. So if you have USD and someone sends you a lightning invoice, you can bring it into Strike. It converts the US dollars into Bitcoin during the transaction. Yes. Yep. Yep. But you can't give someone, although maybe I think they made an announcement at the Bitcoin conference that this is different, but if they did, 
before the Bitcoin conference. Gotta keep up, baby. Yeah. Things keep changing. Um, before the Bitcoin conference, uh, you cannot give someone your strike address as a lightning wallet. And so same is true with Cash App. Like it goes out as Bitcoin in a lightning transaction. Yeah. So with Strike, you have USD and you can pay a lightning invoice with USD directly as Bitcoin to the, the invoice invoicer. With Cash App, it won't convert your cash to Bitcoin and send it on. But if you have Bitcoin and Cash App, you can pay a Lightning invoice okay. out, but you can't give out your Cash in. App. So you recommend Albi uh, amongst all of these. That's the one that if you want a Lightning wallet that kind of does what you would expect it to do in the way that we spend money, maybe on PayPal, you should pick Albi. Specifically for the one tap zap functionality of Noster. Now, if you're not on Noster, uh, you don't okay. care about Noster, really then there's other... Uh, Lightning wallets. The two that I would recommend are Zeus because Zeus can connect to your full node. So if you've set up your own personal Lightning mm-hmm. channels, Zeus can connect to that and then you just see your Lightning channels. And so you're just telling Zeus, you're giving Zeus access to send Lightning transactions from your full node. Okay. And so, for example, like if we went to El Salvador and we use Zeus, it would technically be sending Bitcoin from our box upstairs paying merchants in El Salvador. Whereas if we used Albi... We're using Albi's node. We're using Albi's node. Okay. Right. And then Phoenix, which is a lightning wallet that I just learned about, it's like a combination of Albi and Zeus in the sense that you hold the keys to the Bitcoin that is being sent over lightning, but it's it's really only lightning, <laughs> right? So with Albi, you don't control the keys, mm-hmm. right? With Wallet of Satoshi, which is another one, you don't control the keys, with Zeus, you control the keys because you control the full node, and it's just an interface to your full node. But with Phoenix, you control the keys to a little bit of Bitcoin that you're moving over Lightning. All right. And like I said, Lightning is so, new. But like, do we need this? I don't know. I, I'm. I feel like you kind of lost me at some point in there. Like, for so the, regular users' use of a Lightning wallet, what do you need? What do I need? The ideal scenario would be you have your own personal node that's running your own Bitcoin transactions and your own Lightning transactions. We're not there yet just as a community where that's even possible for all these things. For example, Albi and OneTap Zaps. I'm sure Albi is working on something that'll connect to your personal node Mm -hmm. so that you can do that. And I think they have something in the works, but it's not like official, official, official. Whenever you can't do something via your own personal node, then the options kind of fall in, like, what are you actually trying to do? Mm -hmm. So what I would recommend to our listeners and how we tell people, make clips, share them on Noster, get paid out, I'd recommend to those people to use Albi Mm -hmm. because now you're on Noster and you have the one tab zap feature and it makes it feel like you're on Twitter, but sending Bitcoin instead of likes, Mm -hmm. right? If you do nothing else, that's what I recommend. But if you're someone who's listening to this podcast that wants to go a little bit deeper, then I recommend Phoenix and Zeus. Because if you understand what I'm talking about, Zeus is the one that will connect to your full node. So I'm just acknowledging both sets of listeners that we have. Yeah. That's all. No. But Lightning is very new. Yeah, it, it, it's very obviously new by what you've just explained. And like you said, this is the reality today. And it you might not even know everything that's already in place. So like a month or two from now, yeah, I'll be connect to a full node and it would be completely different. Like what's stopping them from adding more functionality, any of these, nothing. Just time.
sorry, babe. So we were only going to cover what we use, but you ended up covering everything. So much for our premium content for our subscribers. So much. It's so hard for you to keep to stay brief when it comes to Bitcoin. I mean, you keep asking questions. I keep answering them. I'm sorry. I'm so inquisitive. You don't have to apologize for being inquisitive. I wasn't really sorry. I makes, know. makes for good podcasts. Sure. No, but like, I think as many times as you talk to me about this stuff, it's hard for me to fully connect the dots without asking those follow-up questions because I got really confused. And these are just a bunch of names. Like, uh, it's interesting to me how you keep up with it. So this concept is something that I think about sometimes when I'm like sitting there holding Keon. I'm interested in a lot of stuff. I'm sure put me in front of the right doctor. They would diagnose me with ADHD. Um, But I'm interested in a lot of stuff. I mean, Bitcoin is the one that I'm most interested at the moment, but there's a lot of other things that I'm interested as well. If you're actually interested in something, it's not hard to follow all this stuff because once you once you fill up your head, then everything else is just one extra piece of information. But if you're just like every three months getting a refresher, it's like, well, then we got to go through everything again. Mm -hmm. I'm not knocking you for this, but it's like, it's not hard for me to keep up with it because the news said Ledger did something crazy. Yeah, (laughs) I didn't have to go research what Ledger Ledger. was. I knew exactly what it meant. Yes. And I knew exactly the actions to take based on that one bit of information. Right. So like if you're focused on one thing or two things or three things or whatever, it's not hard to keep up with anything. It's when you're spread thin and you're trying to track everything or it's something that you're not even interested in that it becomes like, how do you keep all this in your head? Yeah. So for me, like this wallet thing, they're all on my phone. Like I play with them You've all. Experience. Yeah, I've yeah. touched all of them. I've used all of them. Some of them just look nicer than others. Some of them feel nicer than others. Some of them are faster. Some of them are slower. Like there's a lot of critiques I can make about Bitcoin wallets, right? Yeah. But fundamentally, to your point, it's like, well, what do I need to know? If you don't take away anything from this episode, only thing you need to really focus on is get a full node, buy an external hard drive, download Bitcoin Core and download the full blockchain onto that. That will get you set up with a full node. Once you have a full node, you can install Sparrow. Sparrow Wallet will connect directly to that full node that you just downloaded. It's going to take a while to download, so be patient because it's at like 600 gigabytes right now. But once you have it downloaded, it's just one block every 10 minutes after that. Um, But once you have Sparrow connected to your full node, you only really need Sparrow. If you want to do a bunch of stuff on your phone, that's fine. But like if you have Strike on your phone and you want to withdraw from Strike, you can just withdraw it straight to Sparrow. Mm-hmm. You don't have to just withdraw it to a mobile app on your phone. But if you want to keep a little bit of Bitcoin on your phone for when you're traveling around and like Sparrow is just really on your desktop, then I recommend Blue Wallet. And with Blue Wallet, you can have a little bit of Bitcoin that's on your phone, air quotes here. It's on your phone with keys that are on your phone, controlled by your phone. But you can also import your Sparrow wallet as an XPUB into Blue Wallet. So now if you want to, you can send from that little bit from your phone back to your desktop. And you can see how much is on your desktop. No matter where you are on the planet. Mm -hmm. Then on top of that. It's nice to count your money. When it comes to, well, how were those keys generated? Sparrow will generate keys for you. But I recommend at a certain point in time, you get a hardware wallet. And from that, I recommend Cold Card. Because at the moment, Cold Card is just the best pound for pound like hardware wallet out there. It's been stared at by numerous Bitcoiners that give it the thumbs up and all that fun jazz. And then lastly, if you want to participate in this Bitcoin Noster ecosystem that's forming, in order to take full advantage of that, you really want to do one tap zaps. And to do one tap zaps, 
at the moment it's only Ollie. Those things right there, bare minimum. And if you have those things, you have the setup that we have. Babe, you missed one crucial step. What's that? Keep listening to the Flirting with Bitcoin podcast because all this could change like tomorrow. I mean, this will probably change by next year's Bitcoin conference. Exactly. So keep listening and Ian will always help us secure the bag. show now let's get you set up on fountain so you can start earning money simply by listening to podcasts it's time to join the fountainhead nation go to fountain.fm to download the app onto your phone once you've installed the app and have set up your account search for flirting with bitcoin and follow us you should also be able to find and follow every other podcast you listen to as well listen to our show and episodes from your other favorite podcasts to earn your first sats which are fractions of a bitcoin and keep an eye out for our promoted episodes on fountain's homepage. We promote every episode so you can earn up to 100 sats just for listening. Yeah, that's right. Your attention's valuable to us. You're not just a set of earballs we've collected for advertisers. You can use the sats you've earned to send us a boost, which is like a little payment with a message. We are very active and respond to almost all the boosts we get. Every episode, we also give a shout out to the top boosters from the previous episode. And if you want to support us or other podcasters with more sats than you earn, you can top up your fountain wallet with a bank card or a lightning transfer from apps like Strike or Cash App. The easiest way to learn is to just get started. If you have any trouble or questions, go to support.fountain.fm. The team is extremely helpful and responsive. That's it. Now you're all set up for podcasting 2.0.